Good morning, church. Good to see you this morning. We're going to continue in our series, All Eyes on Jesus. The title of this morning's message is The In Crowd. And we're going to find ourselves in Luke chapter 23. We're going to start reading from verse 16, Luke chapter 23. And as I was thinking about this message and, and what it is to be in a crowd, often uh, we find ourselves in crowds. Even in this congregation right now, we are in a crowd. But God always sees us. God is very detailed, and he deals with us as individuals. You know, in China, there are 1.4 billion people, but in China, they also have 415 million cameras. They have cameras everywhere. So even though there is one and a half billion people, when you have almost half a billion cameras, that's a lot of cameras paying attention to everything that is going on. So even us being in a crowd, we're seen. They could have all the cameras in the world, but God sees us all as individuals. I read a quote uh, speaking about what it is to be in a crowd, and it read this way. The usually isolated individual enjoys the sensation of freedom from conventional restraints and the awareness of power which participation in a crowd gives. And he may express views or commit acts of which he would otherwise be ashamed. In other words, what this is saying is, at times, because us being in a crowd and the influence in the crowd would have us to throw off shackles and to do things or think in ways or perform in a way that if, as individuals, we would not normally do. If you don't mind, please stand with me for the reading of God's Word. Again, we're in Luke chapter 23, and we're going to start reading in verse 13. And it reads this way. Pilate called together the chief priests, the leaders, and the people, and said to them, You have brought me this man as one who misleads the people. But in fact, after examining him in your presence, I have found no grounds to charge this man with those things you accuse him of. Neither has Herod, because he sent him back to us. Clearly, he has done nothing to deserve death. Therefore, I will have him whipped and then release him. Then they all cried out together, Take this man away. Release Barabbas to us. He had been thrown into prison for a rebellion that had taken place in the city and for murder. 
wanting to release Jesus, Pilate addressed them again. But they kept shouting, crucify, crucify him. A third time he said to them, why? What has this man done? I have found in him no grounds for the death penalty. Therefore, I will have him whipped and release him. But they kept up the pressure, demanding with loud voices that he be crucified, and their voices won out. So Pilate decided to grant their demands and release the one they were asking for, who had been thrown into prison for rebellion and murder. But he handed Jesus over to their will. As they led him away, they seized Simon, a Cyrenian, who was coming from the country and laid the cross on him to carry behind Jesus. A large crowd of people followed him, including women who were mourning and lamenting. Father, we thank you for your word, Lord. As we picture this scene and recognizing Jesus, being king of the universe, God and creator over all, including us, Lord. What a picture. We ask that you would this day feed us, this morning that you would nourish us, Lord. We come into your house with an expectancy to grow and to learn and to understand who you are better day by day, Lord. So we present ourselves to you. We ask that you would give us a heart to perceive truth, Lord, to walk away different than we walked in, Lord. Looking more like Jesus is our desire and can only be accomplished through your grace. So we petition you for that this morning in Jesus' precious name. Amen. You may be seated. One of the, um, the ways that a movie will present its subject, sometimes the opening scene of a movie gives you a scenario, a, a piece of, of something that has taken place, and you see this scene and you don't understand everything, but as the movie unfolds, it starts to reveal the meaning that was introduced in that first scene. In, in that same way, with the text that we just read, we're going to start to look at other pieces to understand uh, how crowds operate and the different things that take place. Today we're going to focus on the actions of the crowd. Last week, we focused on an individual. We focused on Pilate, and we discovered that he did his very best to avoid making a decision about Jesus. And in a symbolic act, he took some water, and he washed his hands in front of the crowd and claimed, I am innocent of this man's blood. But we learned you cannot wash your hands of Jesus. You cannot wash away guilt with water. 
only the blood he shed can actually wash away the guilt of the blood he shed. Wow. He, he, he was a part of shedding the blood of Jesus, and so was this crowd, but water couldn't wash away his guilt. Only that same bloody shed could wash away that guilt. And that is the same blood that washes us clean. One thing about crowds, even though we just read how a crowd can influence an individual to doing something they would not normally do, and we've all experienced that, or at least we've all seen that. Crowds are made up of individuals, and being part of a crowd does not alleviate you from responsibility. I remember uh, many, many years ago when uh, I was, uh, uh, had to be almost 25, 26 years ago, I was on a, uh, a, a case um, as a juror, and it was a murder case. And um, the person that was being tried was being tried for murder, and what they, what they said was the term that they used legally was he was acting in concert. In, in other words, he was not the one who pulled the trigger. But they went out to do something wrong, and in the course of their actions, someone else pulled the trigger. But because he was with them, and because they had a motive in going out to do wrong, he was just as guilty. So, so the point in that is we can be in the midst of, the, of a crowd and because of our motives and why we are there, we can be just as guilty as the other people in that crowd. The thing about any crowd is there are parts of a crowd. Not everyone plays the same role in a crowd. There's often a ringleader in a crowd. And then there's active participants in a crowd. But then there's also passive participants in a crowd. And you very well may be walking along and find yourself in a crowd and be somewhat of an innocent bystander. You know, it's, it's, it's often that we see either rallies or uh, things get out of control with crowds, and we tend to look at that crowd as if it's monolithic. In, in, in other words, that everyone is there for the same reason, with the same agenda, and they are all um, either doing something good or they're all doing something wrong. And that often is not the case. What we would have to consider is why we're there in that crowd. And in reading this text about the Passion Week, and we're going to look at different parts of it, one of the reasons why it was so crowded in Jerusalem at that time is because it was the time 
of the Passover. And the text that we just read, where Jesus is being put on trial, this mock trial, and there are people gathered there, that crowd was not monolithic. There were all different people there for different reasons. Some of those people in the crowd were Jesus' friends. Other people uh, were mourners. They're looking at what is happening. They've heard about Jesus and the things that he's done throughout the regions. Some of them, they, they pitied him. What, what is going on here? Others were curious. We heard about this guy. We heard what even happened in the beginning of the week, and, and maybe some of them were there, and maybe some of them weren't. But at this point, this guy is on trial, and I want to know what's going on. And then there were others in that same crowd that reviled Jesus. And then there's also some in the crowd that are just onlookers. Uh, it never, uh, I'm so amazed when I see people come to an incident where uh, they come to watch, right? Often if you're uh, in school and, and you're younger and at the end of the day someone says, I'll see you at 3 o'clock, that means at 3 o'clock we're going to have a fight. You never hear that and only the person that challenge the other person ends up there at 3 o'clock. No, you always have onlookers. You always have spectators. You always have people there that shouldn't really be there, but they want to see the action. Those are the people that you see pull out their phones. Right, So you could imagine that in that day, uh, there were people in that crowd, if they would have had cell phones, they would have pulled out their cell phone. They, they wouldn't have necessarily uh, gone against Jesus. Uh, they uh, may not be there to stand for Jesus. Uh, they weren't shedding tears about it. They just wanted to see. And onlookers... There is an appropriate place for that, and then there's a place that that shouldn't be. So, so right now, um, you could have like a word on your heart. It would be inappropriate for you as an onlooker to jump up here, grab the, the microphone, tell me to have a seat, and start preaching. That wouldn't be appropriate. But at the same time, just like we mention almost every week, you need to be involved in church if this is your church. So what is not appropriate for an onlooker is, I come week by week, but I'm not a participant in what's going on. You should be um, in a healthy place when you're looking on, but in other areas, you should be there for a reason. Even the soldiers were there for a reason. They had a task to perform for Rome. Even the Pharisees and Sadducees were there for a reason. They thought they were defending 
uh, what they believe God was or at least defending their best interests. Others had followed Jesus there, and they were there supporting him, not recognizing that by the end of the week, this was going to take place. Then there's another group of people that uh, were onlookers. Uh, it's the same thing as if you say, hey, I'm going to sign up for this softball team. And you get the uniform. And you're swinging the bat. And you're practicing and you're stretching. But when the time comes for you to play in the game, you say, no, I'm part of the team, but I don't want to play. Right? We, we can come to church and believe, hey, that's uh, what constitutes in my mind being a believer or being a Christian. And you can wear the uniform, but it's actually so much more than that. So anyway, that is different components that are made up in a crowd. Pilate delivered Jesus due to the demands of this crowd. It says in verse 18, then they all cried out together, take this man away, release Barabbas to us. In verse 20, wanting to release Jesus, Pilate addressed them again. But they kept shouting, crucify, crucify him. Not only stating that he should die, but even stating how he should die. When Pilate was asking them why, they did not give an answer why, but they pressed him that he should die. Not even requesting it, but requiring that Pilate take action. And the text says, but they kept up the pressure, demanding with a loud voice that he be crucified, and their voices won out. So Pilate decided to grant their demands and release the one they were asking for who had been thrown into prison for rebellion and murder. But he handed Jesus over to their will. Wow. The king of all handed over to the will of a crowd. And that crowd was influenced by others that had an agenda. Often, the loud part of a crowd is turned and directed by a few that have an agenda. But we know that in this, although the Bible tells us that wicked men put Jesus on the cross, we know that this was the plan of God. There's a hymn called Green Hill, and one of the lyrics in the hymn says, we may not know, we cannot tell what pains he had to bear, but we believe it was for us he hung and suffered there. Just to think about all that Jesus 
went through and the description that's given can only partly tell the story of the sacrifice that Jesus made on our behalf from being separated from his father, from even becoming a human, placing himself in his own creation, and then being treated the way that he did. He was treated. So Jesus finds himself with that crowd and them yelling, crucify him. And as I mentioned earlier, sometimes we've watched the movie where we've seen this scene, and then we see things starting to unfold, and then that first scene starts to make sense to us. But in this case, Jesus was always amongst crowds. Crowds often found their way around Jesus. And his interaction with those crowds would not lead for us to think it would come to this place. We uh, saw that Jesus fed the 4,000. And that's in John chapter 6, verse 22. And, and further, it reads this way. The next day, the crowd that had stayed on the other side of the sea saw there had been only one boat. They also saw that Jesus had not boarded the boat with his disciples, but that his disciples had gone off alone. Some boats from Tiberias came near the place where they had eaten the bread after the Lord had given thanks. When the crowd saw that neither Jesus nor his disciples were there, they got into the boat and went to Capernaum looking for Jesus. When they found him on the other side, they said to him, Rabbi, when did you get here? Jesus answered, truly I tell you, you are looking for me, not because you saw the signs, but because you ate the loaves and were filled. Don't work for the food that perishes, but for the food that lasts for eternal life, which the Son of Man will give you because... God the Father has set his seal of approval on him. What can we do to perform the works of God, they asked. Jesus replied, this is the work of God, that you believe in the one he has sent. What sign then are you going to do so that we may see and believe you, they asked. What are you going to perform? Our ancestors ate manna in the wilderness, just as it is written. He gave them bread from heaven to eat. Wow. So often Jesus was doing things and, and he was there showing the people who he was. He was doing things that was spiritual in nature and all that they could desire, and all they expected was natural things. They came to him not because of the miracles he, he performed, not because of the words that he spoke often, but because of the physical benefit of being with Jesus. So in that crowd, 
of people that were fed, those 4,000 men plus women and children, if they walked away as individuals, I got a piece of bread. And I'm going to go after him to continue to get those things that will sustain me on this earth. They're missing the whole picture. So where we have to pay attention in this instance is motives. Why are we doing the things that we do? What is God up to? We can't miss it. If we believe that knowing Jesus has to do with a fixer-up plan for our life, if we believe that when we interact with God, things are going to be better for us in our day-by-day living, we're missing what he's doing. And although there are crowds that cling to those beliefs and interact with God, they may know his name. They may believe they know things about him. But it's so much more than us just getting by day to day, fixing up a little bit of this and a little bit of that in our lives. So as we even think about how they came to the place to yell, crucify him. And one of the things we have to be careful of when we hear these crowds is not to think that in each one of these crowds, all the same people were there at all the different events. Because that is not true. There may be some of those people. Some of those people heard things that were going on. But what we have to really focus in on about crowds is in each application, there was a direction the crowd was moving in. And so often, we move in the direction that is politically correct. We move in the direction of the flow of the way things are going. But each one of us are going to deal with those decisions as individuals. We see another story about crowds and how they had responded to Jesus earlier in the week in his triumphal entry into Jerusalem. There were people walking along Jesus, along with Jesus. And this is what it says in Matthew 21, starting at verse 7. They brought the donkey and the colt. Then they laid their clothes on them. And he sat on them. A very large crowd spread their clothes on the road. Others were cutting branches from trees and spreading them on the road. Then the crowds went ahead of him, and those who followed him shouted, Hosanna, the son of David, blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. Hosanna in the highest heaven. When he entered Jerusalem, the whole city was in an uproar, saying, who is this? The crowds were saying, this is the prophet Jesus from Nazareth in Galilee. When the statement is made, who is this? It wasn't that they didn't hear about Jesus, that they didn't know um, that Jesus, uh, what, who he was, and they were all in an uproar. Actually, what they were asking was, why is all of this happened? Who is he really? 
And that's a question we always have to say to ourselves. In this instance, you hear the crowd singing and praising him, saying, Hosanna, which literally means save now. But at some point, it became just uh, uh, where they would praise in that way. But they said, blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. That is a accu an accurate quotation of what it is to say Hosanna. But their actions were spontaneous. Spreading out their garments was an act of royal homage. The thing is, what did they have in their mind that Jesus was coming to do? And that is why later they changed. And some of those same people that yelled Hosanna and praised also yelled crucify him when they were influenced by the religious leaders of the day because Jesus had come to defeat sin and death. He didn't come to defeat Rome. He came to defeat sin and death. And often we are so set on the present and what's now and what God can do for me now. And I made a mess of my life and he needs to change all of these things. And when it doesn't happen immediately or when it doesn't happen the way we want or when certain things in the natural don't seem to change, we abandon him. That's why you see people kind of go back and forth in their faith. And when things are going well, God's the best thing out there. And when things are going poorly, God, why? And God uses all of these things to make us look more like Christ. Your relationship with God is not about your comforts. It's not about every single thing in your life being fixed. He uses all of these things to make us look more like Christ. Whatever is happening in your life, that is what he is doing. So when we look at things in a short-sighted way or when we listen to bad theology, people telling you, live your best life now, God will repair all of these things. It would be as if um, I was trying to introduce like a guy to my daughter and start seeing all of these beautiful things about her as like I'm trying to sell who she is. Often we make a mistake when we present Jesus as a fix-all in our lives, and we think when we start telling people, hey, you're struggling with this, this is happening, that's happening, Jesus can fix it. Well, he very well can. But our love for God is so different from that. It's so much deeper than that. It doesn't have all to do with only these natural things. God is doing something so much bigger. That's why it says, count it all joy when you face these various trials. God is doing something in that. We can embrace those things and we could walk forward knowing, no, 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 he's at work. Don't look for every single thing in your life to just be solved. Look at what Jesus went through. And he gladly 
went through it because he knew what it was going to produce. Recognize in your life what God is doing and how he's doing and trust him and embrace these things. And so often we miss that and we can't miss that. Jesus came to defeat sin and death. Not Rome, not your comforts, not every little situation. He is so big that he uses those things and he does a work in us. His kingdom that they were looking for him to set up, they thought Israel is going back to his glory days. Israel is going to be in a place when David, when Solomon was there, and we're going to be on top of the world again. But God's kingdom was going to start in their hearts. They wanted him to be the physical king then. And he will be. It's in his timing, which is perfect. And because of these kind of of thoughts, because of following the crowd, of, of because of desiring these things, is why you see before Jesus even entered Jerusalem, he looked over the city and he wept. It says in Luke 19, starting at verse 41, as he approached and saw the city, he wept for it, saying, if you knew this day, what would bring peace? But now it is hidden from your eyes. For the, day will, the days will come on you when your enemies will build a barricade around you, surround you, and hem you in on every side. They will crush you and your children among you to the ground, and they will not leave one stone on another in your midst because you did not recognize the time when God visited you. Wow. And he wept. We have to be so aware of what is influencing us. It may not be walking in a physical crowd but it may be going with the flow. It may be political correctness. It may be public opinion and allowing those things to have us move in a direction. The Holy Spirit is telling us, no, no. And we still walk out those things at times. In Romans chapter 1, it puts it this way, starting at verse 18. For God's wrath is revealed from heaven against all ungodliness and unrighteousness of people who by their unrighteousness suppress the truth. All about truth. Just like Jesus said to Pilate, Pilate said, what is truth? God says, Jesus says, I am the truth. I am the way, the truth, and the life. It says, since what you can be, what can be known about God, what can be known about God is evident 
among them because God has shown it to them. For his invisible attributes, that is, his eternal power and divine nature have been clearly seen since the creation of the world, being understood through what he has made. As a result, people are without excuse. For they knew God. They did not glorify him as God or show gratitude. They knew God, but they did not glorify him as God or show gratitude. We were talking about that on Friday, um, even when Nicodemus came, how he was a teacher of the law. He, he knew God. He did not put his confidence in Jesus at that moment and was learning what that means. Knowing God in his right context is for us to glorify him and to show gratitude. The demons know God. It's how do they relate to God? Instead, their thinking became worthless and their, sense, and their senseless hearts were darkened. Claiming to be wise, they became fools and exchanged the glory of the immortal God for images resembling mortal man, birds, four-footed animals, and reptiles. Therefore, God delivered them over to the desires of their hearts, to sexual impurities, so that their bodies were degraded among them. They exchanged the truth of God for a lie, and worshiped and, and served what has been created instead of the creator who is praised forever. Amen. So often we worship what has been created instead of the creator. We worship things that has been freely given to us by his hand instead of worshiping him. And then it says in verse 32, although they know God's just sentence that those who practice such things deserve to die, they not only do them, but even applaud others who practice them. Right? Often the crowd going in the wrong direction, cheering others on to walk in that and do the same. That's the crowds of today, and that's the crowds of back then. And we have to be careful with what is influencing us. See, the fear of man is what influenced Pilate. To not use his authority that he possessed to stand for what was right in the case of Jesus. The fear of man affects individuals to go with the flow, not to stand against the crowd, to be on the right side of history, to be with the direction of the majority, willing to do an unjust, an unjust thing against your conscience. Like we have to be so 
careful of that. What our motives are, meaning why do we do what we do? The influences that we have. What guides your decision? Do you just go along to get along? Is it public opinion that sways you and moves you in a certain direction? Because the world is going in one direction. We cannot go with the crowd because one day, although there's a crowd around doing things going in one direction, you're going to have to answer as an individual. You're going to be standing before God. So we need courage. And you know what courage comes from? It comes from conviction. We have to know. We have to challenge ourselves. Would I rather be popular or would I rather be right? Would I rather be righteous? Would I rather be holy and set apart and walking in the ways that God would call us to walk? You can come up, worship team. Pilate says, what's truth? Jesus explained that truth was him. See, Scripture is more than true. It is truth itself. It is the plumb line that we judge everything and life about. Like we read in Romans, you can try to suppress the truth. That's what they tried to do with Jesus, to suppress the truth. But you can never kill truth. Because at some point, you're going to have to look truth in the eyes. And you're going to have to give an account. The crowd that we want to be in. In Revelation Chapter 19 is a beautiful scene. So if you could picture all of these crowds, those crowds that were at the crucifixion and all the different parts of those crowds, some, some crying and wondering what was going to happen, some angry and not getting what they wanted from Jesus, so saying, let him go ahead and die, some just being there, curious about what's going on. And then you think about how Jesus takes care of his people, even their physical needs, and how some will just follow him because that's all they want. And Jesus is letting them know there's so much more. And then we get to a place where we are singing Hosanna. We never want to turn back from singing that because the flow of everyone else, the crowd is going in a different direction. No, we want to sing Hosanna to the very end. Revelation 19 of starting at verse 1 reads this way. After this, I heard something like the loud voice of a vast multitude in heaven saying, Hallelujah, salvation, glory, and power belong to our God because his judgments are true 
and righteous because he has judged the notorious prostitute who corrupted the earth with her sexual immorality and he has avenged the blood of his servants that was on her hands. A second time they said, hallelujah, a smoke ascended forever and ever. Then the 24 elders and the four living creatures fell down and worshiped God who was seated on the throne saying, amen, hallelujah. A voice came from the throne saying, praise our God, all his servants and the ones who fear him, both small and great. And then I heard something like the voice of a vast multitude like the sound of cascading water and like the rumbling of loud thunder saying, Hallelujah, because our Lord God, the Almighty reigns. Let us be glad, rejoice, and give him glory because the marriage of the Lamb has come and his bride has prepared herself. It's us, church. She was given fine linen to wear, bright and pure. For the fine linen represents the righteous acts of the saints. Then he said to me, write, blessed are those invited to the marriage feast of the Lamb. And he also said to me, these words of God are That's the crowd that we want to be in. We want to sing Hosanna. Blessed be him that comes in the name of the Lord. All the way till we leave this place and we're standing in his presence, praising with that vast multitude. No matter what comes our way, like the song that we sing, come hell, or high water. We want to sing his praises, not for the bread, not because we want things prematurely, because we want things our way in the way we see it, but we trust in him and his perfect ways, no matter what things look like. We refuse to follow the crowd, to be influenced by the world in such a way that we start to question, is God, is his word true? Here he says, write this, blessed are those invited to the marriage feast of the Lamb. He also said to me, which is a separate statement, these words of God are true. We need to walk in that truth. Let's stand, family, so we can pray together. Father, we thank you. We thank you, Lord, out of the vast billions upon billions of people in the world who have called each one of us out, Lord. Your children set us apart to be your holy priesthood, to be your people, your workmanship, Lord. 
Thank you, Lord. Help us, Lord, with all the influences that we hear from the crowd, from the worldwide web, from everything that tries to influence us. We ask that you would help us to cast down any argument that denies who you are. We stand and declare that you are the way, you are the truth, that you are the life. We thank you for the sacrifice paid as Calvary as we recount this story. And, and we think if we see this scene and, and we start getting this other information, it's all going to make sense, but it still doesn't make sense. But we know that you did this for us. We know that you have conquered sin, death, the grave, Lord. That you have set the captives free by truth. That you have filled us with your Holy Spirit that we can walk these things out, Lord. We recognize there's billions of people in the world right now. But you see each and every one of your children as individuals. We're not part of a crowd to you. We're your sons and your daughters. And you see us in a corporate way as your church. And you're preparing a place for us. One day we're going to sit down, celebrate in this marriage feast of the land. Thank you, O oh God. We ask that by your grace, you would keep us day by day, Lord, that you would continue to walk with us and reveal yourself to us, Lord. And we would keep our eyes focused on you, Lord, no matter what else is going on in our lives, and that we would learn to trust you in such a way that we would have great joy even in our trials, even in any affliction, Lord, anything that we go through, Lord, because we recognize that you are using it for our good and your glory. So we present these things to you this day, thanking you. Continue to build our trust, Lord. We can walk by faith, not by sight, Lord. As we petition you for all these things, Father, knowing that you hear us, knowing that you see us, knowing that you're moving and that we can have a confidence that the good work that you started in us, we thank you for that good work, Lord. We thank you for the infilling of the Holy Spirit. We thank you for opening our eyes and our ears, that good work. That you're bringing it to completion. You're not done. You're bringing us all the way home. And Jesus is coming back. We can have great confidence in what you've already begun. You said, it's finished. Thank you for that victory that we can walk in because of what Jesus has done for us. In your precious name we pray. Amen and amen.
God bless you, church.